Let's spread a song so you can sing along with a special guest or two. Or two. You like to sing and dance, and this podcast by chance explores musicals for you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Life's But a Song, a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals. I'm your host, John, and with me today is a brand new guest. He's an actor, blogger, and I can't think of a third thing. It's Colden Lamb, everyone. That's right. I don't have a third thing. I'm just me. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. Yay! Colden, how are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you for asking. How are you doing? Oh, boy. (laughs) Hey, we're, I'm doing great, but I think I lost my mind watching this movie. In this movie, I mean The Boyfriend, which is the Ken Russell 1971 film adaptation of Sandy Wilson. Of Sandy Wilson. Before musical. Yeah, 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 yeah. What would we call, I mean, well, well, let me do these little background things. Uh, so Sandy Wilson, uh, as you said, he, he, she. It's a he. I always thought it was a she. And then I looked it up and said, like, oh, my God, for years, I thought she was a she. But it's actually a he. Well, yeah. Uh, so he wrote everything. He wrote the book, the music, the lyrics to the original stage version. But Ken Russell wrote the screenplay and directed it. And according to IMDb, when the leading lady of a low-budget musical review sprains her ankle, the assistant stage manager is forced to understudy and perform in her place, becoming a star and finding love in the process. Now, I knew this was based off of a musical because obviously I I do this little background research and everything. I didn't realize what this movie is isn't the show. (laughs) The musical itself. Well, I don't think you could do The Boyfriend, the musical, as a movie. Because The Boyfriend, the musical, is a parody of the 1920 shows of the past. And in particular, No, No, Nanette. So this movie is actually, it's three parts. It's The Boyfriend, the musical. And Uh it's also one part Hollywood fantasies. And then the parody of backstage musicals. And if you just did the the boyfriend, it's so tongue in cheek that if you just did that, you would just possibly suffocate. And luckily the two other stories helps the audience takes a break from the silliness of the plot of the boyfriend. So they say a review, but they're doing the boyfriend in yeah, the movie. Yeah, that's right? just an IMDb thing. It's just little details like that. Okay, okay. Because, uh, you know, watching it, um, I was not ready for this movie. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I saw it was Ken Russell, so I was like, all right, I'm buckling up a seatbelt, but I didn't realize I needed, like, everything. It's it's wild. It's it's, so- it, I'm sure you could, like, get drunk or do whatever you'd like, and you'd have, like, the greatest time of your life. Uh, even sober watching it, like, because, um, okay, so we both work in theater, right? I'm And I'm watching it, and I was just... And I was like, wow, this is amazing that, like, they took the time to show, like, quick changes or, like, the dressing room vibes and everything. <laughs> this movie is insane. <laughs> uh, have you been in a production of The Boyfriend? I have never been in a production of The Boyfriend. The re- How I found this out was back in high school. After school, I would always, like, DVR and record whatever musicals TCM was showing. And I that's how I got exposed to a lot of musicals. And uh, The Boyfriend was one of those things I found on TCM. And I loved it. It was so crazy. It was so zany. It was these three different movies in one package. And whenever I DVR stuff on TCM, this one I always record and rewatch because you miss so many incredible small details. Mm-hmm. And all of them are just delightful and funny to watch. You know, it took me almost until the end of the movie to realize that all those fantasy sequences were in um, the director's eyes, not Polly's. I thought some of them were like Polly's visions, you know, a la Chicago where, yeah, but I didn't, I feel I'm kicking myself for being like, no, it's obvious that the, the Hollywood director is of course having the Hollywood 
fantasy treatment of this show. <laughs> and that's why he's there. He's that vehicle to catalyst into those Buzzly Berkeley pastiches. Yeah. Um, however, how did you feel about when there was singing happening, but it wasn't part of the performance? Can I have an example? Uh, the you don't want to play with me. Oh, you mean... Oh, the non-diegetic numbers. I I am not a fan of... Yeah, but like they did a whole production and I believe that's the one that's in the dressing room. Yeah, there, there. I think there are three numbers that are non-diegetic that take backstage, which is two of Polly's. Both of them are Arthur Freed songs. Both of them also used in Singing in the Rain, which is All I Do Is Dream of You and You Are My Lucky Star. And then You Don't Want to Play With Me Blues, which is from the musical The Boyfriend. I am not a fan of that one uh, just because it just slows down the pace incredibly. And it's just a song for a song's sake. It doesn't advance the plot. Neither do two the two other Polly songs. Yeah, because they, well, also, it took me out of what we've been seeing. Because, like, we've been seeing them do stuff on stage and then the director has, the the Hollywood director has the, Hollywood treatment fantasies of these musicals and then they break their rules and do these backstage musical moments and you're like I yeah but I think it's that we go so far into the zaniness of all these three little stories that you just sort of accept it yeah and like did we really need that like subplot about the guy cheating on his wife (laughs) did we really need that one again it just but that's the thing um it's a little bit almost like Clue in which it the it's a, just a catalyst to watch all these crazy characters do their funny little subplots. And I it's guess. Crazy. I guess. But then, you know, oh, what was that one song? I need, we, we have to talk about the blackface. Um, oh, so much nicer in Nice. Yeah. What? Why? Like, I get it that it, it, it's set in the 20s, 30s era it unfortunately that's what they did back in those days and for that character that was his way he can disguise himself from his wife it aged poorly yes and there could have been other options but that's what they did back in the 1920s and on the london stage and on the broadway stage but this is 1971 like we could have done something different instead of putting him in that blackface and it's like guys ken russell you do better (laughs) like like you have all these very intricate expensive film set uh well sets set pieces um which by the way i was watching it and i'm just like this is supposed to be like low budget community theater and they like they spent a lot of money on their set pieces (laughs) funny thing about the set pieces the set pieces were done by tony walton um, who we know as a great Broadway designer from The Wiz to Pippin oh, to Chicago. And he also did a lot of film movies, including Mary Poppins. And speaking of Mary Poppins, also brings us back to Julie Andrews. The reason why <gasps> yes. we remember The Boyfriend in Broadway lore is because The Boyfriend was Julie Andrews's first Broadway musical long before My Fair Lady. Also, Julie Andrews married Tony Walton. They unfortunately divorced in 1968, and Julie Andrews did not get to do the film version of The Boyfriend, but Tony Walton designed the sets for the film of The Boyfriend. Oh, shit. Isn't that funny how that all connects? Well, and then when she did it on Broadway, when she did The Boyfriend on Broadway, the producers for My Fair Lady were there, and that's how she got My Fair Lady. However... To go even further backwards in the the show's history, uh, it premiered on the West End in 1953, and Diana Maddox was originally cast as Polly, but she fell ill, and Anne Rogers was, you know, I was read this on Wikipedia, so take it with a grain of salt. Apparently, she wasn't really the understudy, but she just learned the part just in just for funsies, and she was like, "I'll do it." And so she stepped in and lo and behold, became famous for the role of Polly. And then I guess the, uh, well, and then the movie kind of pays homage to that with, with Rita and Twiggy. Yeah. And I always found that to be a pastiche of 42nd Street. 
with yes. Peggy and they take a line from 42nd Street. You're going out there a youngster, but you've got to come back a star. <laughs> and there's also a reference to the director telling uh, Twiggy's character, do a Ruby Keela. And she does uh, shuffle off to Buffalo, which I think is the most <laughs> hilarious thing ever. Only us black people will know. And also, uh, what's the other pastiche to 42nd Street? Oh, during the song sequence, I Could Be Happy With You, there's a shot where the camera goes under the blonde Corey's yes. legs and you end up with uh, Twiggy and our leading man, Tommy. That is uh, a direct pastiche parody from one of the numbers from 42nd ah! Street. I think it's Young and Healthy that they okay. take. Okay. I would have said uh, we're in the money. Or whatever that one is. Yeah, and it might be from Where in the Money or if it's I'm Young and Healthy. But um, I was also a little confused about this movie because they use... uh, I don't know what is their character names in the show and what is their character names for, like, the movie. (laughs) Yeah, I... In preparation for this, I was like, I know we were going to talk about this. So I was going to write a diagram of the actor who played them their their character name and then the character they play in the boyfriend and when i looked on wikipedia and imdb they did not have that so it's very confusing about who's 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 what and all you can really you can really tell the characters by their like characteristics and their manners and what they say they call her polly backstage and on stage and they say the same thing for tommy they i think like the only person who doesn't have like a character name is max the director and on stage, he's called Hubert. Right. So he's the only. So he's the only. <laughs> yeah. It's so weird. And uh, even the Tommy Toon character is called Tommy. My God, so many Tommies. <laughs> yeah, too many Tommies. But what I really do love about this movie is the tap dancing. <laughs> they have every single form of tap dancing in this movie. I mean, you start with we're perfect young ladies. You just start off with time steps and then it just builds and builds. builds. And then you do the, the jump ropes with tap dancing and just everywhere. Every single tap step in this movie. And like Twiggy. No, I don't. I probably like you and the most of the world don't know Twiggy as an actress. I know we know her as the model where she's famous for like the, those big doll eyes and all those like mod clothes that she modeled. So Seeing her in this, first of all, seeing her name, I was just like, oh boy, we're in for something that's probably not going to be good. And she delivered. Like, she won two Golden Globes because of this movie. She carries the film. She has such a beautiful, cute, charming charisma. And this was her first film role. Um, She has a famous line where she said, I can't be a clothes hanger for the rest of my life. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. And so luck. And I believe the the fabled legend from what I did for my research is that she and Ken Russell saw Ken Russell's mother's amateur group do a production of The Boyfriend. And that's what inspired this. And right after the movie, or actually, this movie is the reason why Twiggy and Tommy Toon became acquainted. And they vowed that one of one of these days they would do another project. And eventually it came along later in 1982. They did a Broadway musical called My One and Only. And she did a lot more tap dancing in that with Tommy Toon. Uh, and this was the project that they met on for this. Although there's that one moment when um I don't even know if it's during a song or whatnot, when there's like the Grecian fantasy. Yeah, the ballet of 1930s Art Deco mm-hmm. and such. I am not a fan of that sequence. But also, I was watching it and I'm like, you couldn't fantasize yourself to be like a graceful dancer. Well, like, like the first time up a bat with dancing, and for like, you know, that sort of stuff is terribly difficult. And she, and you know, there's some performers who have great personas and are great actors that can't really dance. Like, what's his name in Hail Caesar? But I give them leeway and grace because I can see that they put in hard work. Oh, yeah. She put, I read that she's like spent a couple of months on singing and dancing rehearsals. So, like, she, she took this very seriously. And I really appreciate, I really did not, not appreciate. I 
loved her performance basically i thought she was great although the the way that the character is written is a little too naive well that was sort of that's sort of again a pastiche of 1930s we have the innocent naive peggy sawyer with with dear i like yeah 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 but like the whole the whole her whole storyline besides like finishing the show is like she's in love with uh Tommy is that that's his name? Yes. Let me check. I have. I'm pulling Tony. out my, Tony. my LP. Tony, played by Christopher Gable, who was also the choreographer. No, he was also in the Slipper and the Rose. Well, yes, I. <laughs> but he was also the choreographer for this movie. He was. Yeah. Oh, that I didn't know. That was, oh, he's fabulous. Then. Well, they cut. Ca- they call it musical choreography. I don't know what that means, but I'm assuming that is him choreographing the movie. <laughs> Oh my uh, god! And he did incredible. Yeah, yeah. I, and choreographs. Wow. And also, so, uh, but like her, she like loves him, and it feels like that was forced into the movie because, like, I don't, I don't really remember the beginning of it when she's running around delivering, you know, um, sandwiches and and liquor to everyone if she like lingers on him and like fall uh, like has doe eyes but like throughout the whole movie you see her like looking at him off stage and he's all and she's all like oh i'm in love with him and we we are to believe that he has this thing for another person but lo and behold he's just making polly a cake that's, so that's the funny thing is that it's so dumb it's well it's not really it helps her arc in the character of Polly and the boyfriend go to those places and get to those places of sadness and, and genuineism while everyone is yucking and hamming it up and chewing the scenery she's the only one who's taking this seriously and she's taking like oh Stanislavski Uta Hagen things off stage applying her real life to the character of Polly in the boyfriend and also it seems like her and Tony are the only ones not playing to the Hollywood director because everyone it like everyone like shifts their focus only to him and they're they're only looking at him and it's like there's still like 20 people out in the audience that <laughs> that are also paying customers that you need to play out to. I love that little touch <laughs> that there are more people on stage than there are on the house. Because <laughs> I think that's a thing that all of us actors deal with. I like we've all done shows where there is more people on the stage than there are in the house and you you still have to commit and do it. I also well, okay. Do you feel like this is a semi a, a, not a 100% honest but like a semi honest portrayal of like theater and like what happens during a show? Oh my goodness, 100%. Whenever like that's what I love about it and it's a little bit like Showboat where Showboat is all about how theater creates families the same thing is with this with the boyfriend you're watching the story of a family but this family is delusional and backstabbing and grandly theatrical and you, you see all the different members of the family you see the the actor who's too good for this and does west end shows and refuses to play with cockneys and then you have like the two actors fiddling backstage happens all the time in every single show i've ever done and then you have the jaded chorus girl who knows like she's too good to be like the secondhand fiddle and she deserves to be on the top. And then you have the lead who breaks her leg and she's. And then the understudy who like just started and you're and... like, poor girl, here's the script. Good luck. <laughs> and the CB denim Hollywood, or not, excuse me, the CB denim director who believes in art for art's sake. She's supposed to become from Manchester a whopping. It just rewrites the show. It has the great theatrical robe. <laughs> what? There, there are moments that happen on stage that I really loved where it's like they're whispering to each other to find out what's happening backstage, especially in the beginning where it's like, where's Rita? Accents. <laughs> or or like that one moment where they put the script in the flowers for Polly. <laughs> I'm telling you, this movie walked. So waiting for Guffman and the play that goes wrong could run. Yeah. Well, I mm, mm, no. I mean, I I may put in an argument for Kiss Me Kate. 
Oh, that's okay. true. And again, that's it's a great parody of the backstage musicals with all the mm-hmm. grand impresarios and grand divas all fighting it out backstage. Oh my god. Um Oh, there's so much to talk about. Like this is Well, that's why hours. we have podcasts. Yeah, that's right. This movie was two hours it's two hours and fifteen minutes long, so I first wrote Go Fuck Yourself. Uh, but then like you watch it and you get sucked into it and you're like, okay, this is very have you seen any other Ken Russell movies? Have you seen Tommy? I've watched one scene from Tommy where Anne Margaret gets soaked in baked beans. Yes. And I said, that's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you like this, there's a lot of his state, like he did this first and then he did Tommy. So there's a lot of things directorial that are the same. It's very stylized, the boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And you could tell right away, like that is a Ken Russell style. I also... It's a little off-putting when they stare into camera. <laughs> the big Hollywood director for his all-new new colossal new musical. <laughs> and there they have uh, the the 1920s makeup and the very pencil eyebrows and I'm just like you all look like aliens. I don't <laughs> And the lighting, the, the where it's mostly like de- uh, upward lighting and everything. Like, oh my god. <laughs> Well, I think that's also prestige of 1930s musicals because I don't I think back then they weren't afraid to look into the camera. But nowadays, it's unrealistic to look into a camera. Well, I mean, I also really did like it uh, at moments when they were on stage acting and like you can tell that they are playing. They are looking at it's not like they are looking into our souls. They're looking at out to the audience performing. But there are also moments where their back is to the audience and they're saying some dialogue and that hurt me a little bit. But I get it. That's because of camera and film. But <laughs> yeah. And again, it also comes back to, I think, and that's where I think Ken Russell really gets it. I mean, I get it. Because like there are moments where obviously you want to be more cinematic than realistic when you do like a show within a movie or something like that. But I mean, I was watching it while watching it. I was just like the audience that paid whatever price it was, two pence or whatever, um, to watch this are probably like, why am I staring at their butts the whole time? And I did. um, I love to do this sometimes with movies is play inflation calculator. And the most expensive seat in the theater was the Royal Box, which was Mm -hmm. uh, one pound. And one pound in today's United States inflation currency is 20 bucks. So the top dollar to see this all spangled musical. No, it's not. Oh, it's 20. uh, One pound is like a dollar 20. But with like inflation and everything. Oh, okay. So uh, I I see what you mean. One pound in In 1924. 1924 to 2022 is 20 20 American dollars. 20 American dollars. Got it. Wow. <laughs> this seems like it's not the West End. It's like semi-regional. West End because I looked up the Theater Royale and that's one of the most prestigious West End theaters. So it's either an amateur group that somehow got a hold of this jewel box West End theater or that theater was just so run down that they allowed was anyone a, and anything in. It was a shithole back then, yeah. I don't, maybe, who knows? There's this great panning shot of this woman going to take her seat, and it comes, you see a balcony view of this beautiful theater, and you just think of the grand operas that have been performed there and the great singers, and then this curtain comes up, and it's this tacky 1920 shows with piano and drum. Hello? <laughs> So I, I don't know. It also feels like this show is the longest show in the world. Cause I mean, the movie is like I said, two hours and 15 minutes long, but the show just keeps going. <laughs> and like, we don't start at like the top of the day. We start like five minutes before the show the, is supposed to happen. So like you are watching the entire show, but it feels like also we don't see some scenes potentially. So I'm just sitting there like, this must be like a three hour long play or play musical or something. Certainly feels like it, especially with those moments where we go backstage and see that stuff that's happening backstage. For example, 
when Tommy Toon is giving his backstory and you really you only hear the piano and you're wondering like what's going on on the stage? What's <laughs> happening? I'm oh I was watching it and I was just like I get it we're in a fan we're in a movie and it's fantasy and everything but like you're also trying to show a real a semi like a like a sort of realistic portrayal of what happens backstage during a show and I don't know if Ken Russell did his homework very well because like all of a sudden they're on the like hmm, where are they they're like by a fly rail and he's telling that or they're in like an attic it seems like yeah they're on they're on like the fly rail yeah and and he tells that story about how he got amnesia and whatever and i'm just like where are they aren't they at work is this intermission what's going on here yeah but it all comes back to that kiss me kate backstage musical style where you can have brush up your shakespeare happen backstage (laughs) while there's while we still have the taming of the shoe musical going on oh my god i you know what? I bought this movie on Prime because I saw Ken Russell's name and I was just like, I need this in my life. And I'm very happy that I did. And that we're covering it too. Because I've never seen the stage version. Well, scratch that. I have seen it, but it was like a a bridge version of it. Because it was at a uh, it was when I was at a summer camp and for the arts. Uh, and we they had to cut it down a little bit. So I don't really remember the show. Yeah, the last time the show, quote unquote, really got done is when Julie Andrews directed a tour of it that I think originally started at Goodspeed Musicals. But but that was the last time it was really been done. And then now it gets done occasionally and randomly at colleges and high schools. Did you know that there's a sequel? Divorce me, darling. Divorce. <laughs> of course you did. I didn't realize you did all this research, Colton. Uh, you're showing me up on my own podcast. Uh, <laughs> I would like to see a movie. I, I was looking a- up that one, and that's the parody pastiches of, like, 30s and 40s musicals? Yes, the 1930s Cole Porter musicals, and it's apparently a sequel to The Boyfriend. It's like right. Love Never Dies, but with The Boyfriend. <laughs> but The Boyfriend. We see them 10 years later in the 30s. Oh, my God. That's... I would love to see the the this troupe of actors in the movie <laughs> do divorce me, darling. And then who? But but who watches it if it's not the Hollywood big shot? Is it the Broadway producer instead of the Hollywood producer? Oh, uh, well, I don't know who would watch it or what would what would be the maybe maybe it's their Broadway debut of of divorce me, darling, and everything goes wrong. <laughs> So we get a little bit more of the play that goes wrong style, but back in the Kiss Me Kate backstageness of that's happening in this movie. But it's like their Broadway or West End. We'll, we'll keep it in London. The West End debut. Yeah, and I actually like the, that the film takes place in London, giving it back to the original London roots of the musical. Right, and well, I mean Ken Russell is British, so and that, even better that helps. But I did read that. I mean, I get it. Sandy Wilson did not like this movie. And oh, I, I, under- I understand that. But I appreciate what Ken Russell brought to it. Where it's the... Um, it, it, it's, a, it's being performed. There's a, there, there's a Hollywood director who's supposed to be Cecil B. DeMille, but it's not him. Uh, it's De- Mr. Thrill. DeMille. The thrill, and yeah, it's—I don't know. I really just like this movie. It's fun. It's campy. And if anyone asks me what theater is like, I could just show them scenes from this and be like, "That—that's it. That's the." You see, you see this one scene where the curtain is designating what's happening in front versus what's happening behind the stage, behind behind the scenes. Yes, that's what we do. <laughs> Now, my question is, out of all the fantasy sequences, which one was your favorite? Oh, my God. We had the Grecian fantasy. We had the I, I Could Be Happy With You record fantasy. We had the uh, Room in Bloomsbury, which had all the garden gnomes. Then we had Safety in Numbers with all the cards. And then we had, the I think, the final one. Oh, no, we had... Uh, there's so many. There was the one... And then the Riviera. There was the dice one. 
Yeah, that's safety in numbers. Safety in numbers. I liked the dice portion of it. I didn't like the the ladder part of it. Literally, when they're on ladders. Yes, they play on words, ladies and gentlemen. I didn't like that one, that portion of it. I like the dice, um, because you know the tap dancing of it all. Um, I love the. I that's funny because I love the ladder. I love the optical illusions of the minute they turn, you see this collages of hearts and I'm, things. I mean, the one I thing that bothers me though is the director. He has these kicks and he can't kick on time, and everyone else is kicking on time except him. Bothers the heck out of me. <laughs> wait is that when the kick line happens yeah that's when the kick line happens and they do these stylized kicks one two one two da 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 Mm -hmm. and can't kick on time and tommy tune with his like five feet long legs with a knickerbocker break (laughs) um but yeah there's a few times that i that watching these fantasy sequences i did shout what the fuck and i think i had a stroke um (laughs) because I was, like I said, I was not prepared for any of it. <laughs> but, but I, I, my personal favorite one is the room in Bloomsbury. I just love the orchestration on that. And I didn't know that garden gnomes were a big thing in the 1920s and 30s, but it has, but Tony Walton's designs make you feel like it was a thing in the 20s and the 30s. I didn't I, really get that one. Like the other ones, I was like, I get you, you're Esther Williams, you're Busby Berkeley, you're referencing all these other things. But when they did the gnomes, I was just like, where are we? What what is happening here? Again, it's just it's just a great old fantasy sequence of whatever you want it to be. I did I did write down during the I could be happy with you fantasy sequence, like this is where the film's budget went because of all those turntables. <laughs> Yeah, isn't that beautiful? Just having it on a record and it's just turning and you see these two collages. You're just, and these are all human bodies. And that's the beauty of those Busby Berkeley moments that everyone now uses and abuses to to death. Well, and then also the Esther, do you know when I, when I say Esther Williams, do you know what I'm referencing? Yes, I I okay. watch okay. Bathing Beauty with I, Red Are you nuts? I, I just want to make sure. So for those of you who don't know that are listening, Esther Williams is known for in classic Hollywood for like the synchronized swimming moments. If you watch Hail Caesar, uh, it's Scarlett Johansson's character, basically. But yeah, they do that. Uh, they do that on the records uh, uh, during I Could Be Happy With You, where it's all like the the leg movements and the ar- the sharp arms movements and everything. Uh, it was amazing. <laughs> it was like a kaleidoscope, if you will. <laughs> and of course, we have the the flying down to Rio for the last one for the Riviera. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, what happened? Like, is that a super fantasy moment where the director inserted himself into it? Like, he's seeing himself film this movie. Yeah, he's seeing or himself is- film the finale of the film. Okay. With all the players in it. Because all of a sudden, there's that jarring jump to the the film set, and I was just like, "Where, where are we? Was there? Is this a time jump? What happened?" But again, we it's the final fantasy that we have done. All these other fantasies that we can, as an audience, just immediately jump on board and going, "Okay, we're going into another fantasy." And but like this time, you you see how movies are made. And I did appreciate that, where it's like, you know, this whole movie, we're watching how fil- how stage productions are happening and everything. And then all of a sudden, you're on a film set. And it's a different vibe. It's, a diff- it's bigger. There's more budget and everything. But then we, get, we snap back to reality. And I was just like, I'm so confused. And then he's Tommy Toon's dad. What? <laughs> Oh, spoiler alert. I mean, the movie is 50 years old at this point. 51 years old. <laughs> what else did I... There's something else. Oh, Sur la plage? Sur la plage. Sur la plage. I literally wrote down, did I have a stroke? And I don't remember why. Oh, wait, is that the... Mm, which one is Sur la plage? It's the act two opener um, in which there's 
they they tap with big stars and jellyfish hats and they throw the beach oh, balls at the director. Yes. Yes, that's it. And I was just like, I don't know what is happening. They brought out the like when they did brought out the two different colored balls and they were synchronized like movement robotic movements with that. I was I love this movie. I'm sorry if I'm like shitting no, on it. No, not at all. Or whatever. It but... can be jarring to people, but if you are willing to go along with the ride, it's it's wonderful. I did when I did Tommy, I did say I did want to go through Ken Russell's filmography. So you are helping me with this. <laughs> and I also love the just again, I also love the pastiche of old movie musicals where we have these immediate cuts and suddenly there's star stuff all over the floor and people have suddenly changed costumes and suddenly they're in tap shoes and suddenly we're back at the beach tents and now there's beach balls i just love those immediate cuts <laughs> like we're in the same location but if you watch it on a stage that couldn't happen and the same thing with the having the backs turned to the right. audience and watching the camera come forward and also i love the pastiche of like in all the great backstage musicals like White Christmas and Kiss Me Kate and Summerstock in which you have these very small theaters with these gigantic sets of thousands of these big old sets and you're thinking how are they storing that or how could they fit that on a stage also how did they have the budget for that like how do they have the budget <laughs> yeah cuz they cuz they keep talking about how broke the show is and you're like look Look at the the fountain. The fountain in fuck. What was it? Which one was it? The oh, the, I could be happy with you. The Act Two finale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gorgeous. But Every like, every scene has a different set. Yes, yes. There's that one set that's like a two story, a two uh, story a, Norma Desmond mansion with a staircase on it. It's bonkers. And then <laughs> one of my favorite ones. Was when she's walking through the flower, they're picking flowers, and it's... oh my god! I'm not trying to um, disrespect anyone by saying this, but I did a production where it was very similar to that style of set with the squeakiness and just wood and trees, and I I love that moment even more now now that I've experienced that moment. And just actors just whispering behind the tree, have an onion, it makes you cry. (laughs) (laughs) It just heard throwing the flowers and just, (laughs) it it just gets louder and louder with all the rolling wagons. It's fabulous. It's just, it's a wonderful homage and like three cheers for you, for all us amateur and even like regional theater folks out there. (laughs) It's so good. It And I like how they're all also very serious about, it like yes they're overacting and they're over the top and everything but like you could tell that there's some heart in their characters like they all love they all love doing this they all love doing this and they wouldn't have it any other way they'll still call it a piece of shit but they still love doing the show because it's and that's the thing theater brings joy and it it brings out unfortunately sometimes the worst in us and the fact that this is a one day movie <laughs> it all takes place in one day this is even wild i i wonder i wonder how the next day's performance would have gone or the next well wait did they say that this was like a two show day no well they didn't say it was a two show day and again you're not supposed to be, you're just supposed to follow and watch this one day and be done with it but if we were going to think about it I don't know what would happen because that director is just firing people left and right. You don't know who's staying, who's coming in. And Tommy Toon goes away. Who's playing his role? Like, (laughs) it's just very confusing. But again, I think we're just meant to focus on that one day and not think of it ever again. I I hope in the world of this movie, Polly gets to go on again because... That one actor, the the actor, you know, the one that was on the on the West End and had to dye his hair for his fans and his. I people. won't do it. Rip, uh, rip. <laughs> he he like Person. disregarded her. Yes, he disregarded her at the beginning, and then at the end, he almost complimented her. 
Almost complimented her, then went back to, we have too many cockneys in this show. DeVille will think he's watching a review. You want me to expect me to do Eddie Old Iyer next? Oh my god, this... Uh, I feel like... I feel like there have been parts... Like, everyone who worked in theater experienced something similar. Or a, mo- a similar moment within this show. Like... I mean, definitely hiding the script in props that that has to ha- that has to have happened to and the whispering off stage and the subtle eye glances and just whispering on stage like you can't like you Nick you're stupid you idiot hello darling you know during the safety in numbers the pre safety in numbers when all the four boys go against Maisie because oh. Maisie's like talking behind them in these small little quip moments like we and- all have moments like that either we do with our eyes or whisper it or stick to the script. <laughs> Yeah, basically. Can it, you pansy? <laughs> oh my god. Uh, last question. I, I keep forgetting to ask this to uh, my guests that are actors. Uh, what role would you like to play? In, oh my if god, you, the director. If you could... Oh, the director? The director. I love that director. He's He inserts himself in the finales, even though he's barely in this musical, he inserts himself in the finale. And then at the final end, he has a little box of which he stands on to make it look like it was his musical all along. He's so narcissistic. But again, it, it's that trope of the C.B. Denim big theatrical director. He's so hilarious in this role. And he just takes this little amateur group as if it was our life or death situation. And that's what makes it so funny. And what I really like too, is at the beginning of a movie, he has his makeup done. Like naturally. Cause, cause he doesn't go in for like an hour into the show. I want to say, but like he's, he's got that eyeliner on and you're like, and I was sitting there just like, why is he wearing this eyeliner? Oh, (laughs) he's a director actor. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Colton, is there anything else you want to talk about before we get into Sharp and Flat? Oh my god, there's so many things I want to talk about. <laughs> uh, um, oh, I love the fact that no matter the circumstance of the Act 1 finales, they always end with the same kick line. And the same... And, oh, and they like, do! They just end with the same kick line. Uh, I just think that's a brilliant little touch. And I love that during... Um, these are all like pinpoints I wrote down as I was typing, watching the movie, I've seen this movie so many times, but of course, when you're doing a podcast, you have to think about it just a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. I love that during the Riviera sequence, naturally the director, the whole entire time while he's filming, he has a glass of champagne in his hand. Like how absolutely fabulous is that? I didn't even notice that. Yeah. I, need, I need to rewatch this movie <laughs> and, it's, it's and so, tell people. It's a rewatch one because you just miss so many little details you pick up on things i mostly rewatch that movie to watch the theater because there's i am a big fan of just going to see theaters and seeing their architecture they're beautiful i went to go see aladdin just so i can look at the new amsterdam theater that's how i'm committed i'd sit through i had to sit through aladdin just so i could look at the beauty of the new amsterdam theater um (laughs) did your version of the film come with an intermission no it didn't. I think Prime cut that. Okay. Because um, the thing is, naturally, back in the day, back in the 70s, and dare I say, even sometimes in the 60s, studios love to cut stuff. Like the most famous example being Ben Knobs and Broomsticks. They cut 30 minutes out of that film just to make it shorter and to make it fit for the Radio City Music Hall Christmas show. And the same thing, unfortunately, happened with The Boyfriend because it is just so naturally so long that they cut certain elements. And the version I have, which is from the archive collection, I think is the director's cut because it comes with an intermission. And there were these little mini scenes that I didn't even see when I saw it on TCM. So I know, I think there's a cut version and I think there's a director's full version with an intermission. How long was your movie? Two hours and 15. Okay, so then I guess, okay. Sorry, I thought you meant, because I know... Um, like in the sound of music, there is if you got the tapes, the the VHSs of it, there was an actual intermission. I thought that's what you were talking about. But yes, I I do believe there were scenes 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there were scenes, especially with like Polly in the dressing room crying because uh, she's in love with Tony and she doesn't think that he loves her back. Um, there was other there was other moments too with like the dog being sprayed with the voice. Yeah, I uh, there's one particular scene that I remember being cut, which was them coming back from. The, it was like the intermission for the play within the play and they go visit the director in his booth and Maisie's talking French to the director and the director's showing the scrapbook and the director throws champagne on the ground and they all follow him. Did you have that scene in your Yes, I had that scene. That yeah, they- when I first saw it on TCM, I never saw that. So and I noticed there were I can't remember off the top of my head, but there were small other areas that were cut. My point being that is that I miss intermissions in movies because nowadays movies are going back to that roadshow release especially like our superhero movies and our star wars movies that i wish they would have an intermission just so we can just breathe and reset rather than sitting three hours you know stuck Mm. to our seats especially since movies nowadays come with 40 to 30 minutes of trailers and such right yeah, because you're like, oh, I don't even remember the setup of all this. Like, I don't even remember this <laughs> setup of this one. Because <laughs> well, it's interesting that your Prime version didn't come with an intermission. Well, no, it did have that. Well, are you talking about? It did have that scene where they threw the champagne and they were talking French. Because I was just like, I wonder what they're saying because they didn't subtitle it. Yeah. Oh, I think she was like, notice the mezzanine and the beautiful architecture. Notice the balcony. Oh, I don't speak French. Uh, German. (laughs) Oh my God, that one character. This one character, for those who don't know, she's so desperate to get on the director's good sign that she tries to speak French. Uh, Hollywood. They drop Hollywood. Hollywood. Because the director tells her, uh, do you speak French? And she says, no. So she goes backstage frantically to learn French. And then she comes back later, speaks all this French, and the director speaks German. (laughs) I just, I thought that was brilliant. And I love how the director plays and preys on all of their emotions. And at the end, he tells them it was all a game. And I love that final scene once the show is done and the director goes away. These actors either accept that they weren't selected by the director. Some of them regret it and life goes on and they just move on to the next day of their life. I thought that was a beautiful, quiet little moment. That one actor that says, I'll go to the cloth or whatever, basically saying that he's going to be a priest. He was in um, another Ken Russell movie prior to this where he played a priest. So... Oh, that's a nice little touch. Little, little Easter egg, yes. Um, all right. Let's go into Sharp and Flat, shall we? Sure. Sharp Flat. So in this section, we're going to highlight some moments, whether or not we talked about it. If we liked it, it's sharp. And if we didn't like it or thought it could change, it's flat. Do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? I'll know. go first. Why not? All right. Let's go first with your sharps. Tony Walton's designs. Yes. That is a sharp. Each one of those flats, each one of those sets is a beautiful painting in itself. And you can tell the research and the detail. And each one has a distinct theme. Like the Won't You Charles Charleston number is all black and white. And the train, how does that fit in a theater with all those sets? It just, and it opens up like a pop-up book. The car too? Oh, the, the pickup car. Yes. Yes. It's uh fabulous. The f- and the fountain. I mean, the, the fountain set and the 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 carnival ball set and all those blues and sparkles. Again, I was just like, how is well, <clears throat> before I knew that this wasn't really the boyfriend, the show, I was just like, how do they do all this on stage? <laughs> Again, again, it comes back to like White Christmas and Kiss Me Kate that these big gigantic sets, these big trains somehow fit in these small theaters, even like 42nd Street. Have you seen the film version of 42nd Street? Not the original one. No. In the original, in the title number, they literally go through each individual building 
on 42nd Street and they pull out and it was like, it was all in the theater the whole time. And you're like, that can't work on stage. How does that work? <laughs> uh, what else you got? This ensemble. It, it, it's truly an ensemble film. Twiggy carries it beautifully and gracefully on her shoulders. But without that rich ensemble, you really don't have the movie. Mm. It's Especially that director. He's just so wonderful and hammy. And for me, he makes the movie. Um, I, I feel like as her first movie, like Twiggy swung for the fences for it and nailed it. Like, like it was a bit, it could have been a hit or miss depending on how everything turned out. And she did a fantastic job. And you could tell that it's somewhat of her persona of, right. Being shy and timid, but graceful and elegant at the same time. And she may have had a little bit of background in dance training. Who knows? <laughs> Who's to say? But she could have fooled me. I thought she was a dancer this whole time. <laughs> Otherwise, how could she lead a musical? You know what I mean? Well, mm. well, you know, nowadays we have. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> let's see some other sharps. The orchestration. The orchestration beautifully captures that honky tonk, twangy, 1920 sounds particularly in songs like it's never too late to fall in love the riviera um what other numbers the fantasy sequence of the title song the boyfriend i find the orchestration just to be beautiful and ha has that 1920s quality that i think is sometimes really hard to capture mm -hmm. do you agree with that or disagree oh uh, no i agree with that also a lot of their singing is like tin canny kind of like that especially twiggy she has that like rich shaky timber that a lot of 1920s performers have like helen morgan and such and like i did question at some points if it was actually twiggy singing or if maybe she had some help no i think that's her because back then you actually had to sing or be dubbed or be dubbed right there wasn't any of this like we're gonna mix your voice with the other person's voice hello eurovision song contest sorry if i Watson, we're looking at you this is the Paris of my childhood. <laughs> um, do you have any more sharps? I think the fantasy sequences are a wonderful sharp. You can, despite them, some of them being jarring, some of them taking too long, you can tell that a lot of detail and effort and creativity and craftsmanship was put into those sets. I'm going to put a pin in that and I'm just going to list my sharps. So I love tap. I love tap. I love that this is a tap movie. Didn't realize it was a tap movie. I'm in love. I sharped specifically Tommy Toon and Twiggy because like Tommy Toon is like 10 feet tall and like is a great- but Tommy Toon's basically playing himself in a movie. Right. And like we, I, uh, I covered Hello Dolly, which was before this and he was in that and he was also a great dancer in that. But like this one, I feel like it was showcasing his talents more than hello dolly because he wasn't yeah, really it showed off his legs a lot more than hello dolly yes uh and twiggy obviously we uh, as i've said great surprised me uh i wrote down rita's delusion because i too am delusional like like her um <laughs> although never notice uh, <laughs> uh i also wrote down that one scene where uh, it's the curtain showing what's happening on stage versus what's happening backstage. And I was just like, this is theater. This is actually theater right here. Like that is the scene I will show people. Like I said, to be like, this is what people do, we do for a living. Um, I also really liked the Esther Williams section of, I could, uh, I could be happy with you, the, them on the record. Um, and then safety and numbers, the whole thing, just minus the ladders. I mean, I didn't hate the ladders. I just didn't. I, it wasn't one of my favorites. How about that? It's it was still a great moment, and I understand what they're referencing. But like, yeah, I feel I like how hard it is to tap in a box. Oh well, <laughs> we can figure that one out. Let's get you a box and make you tap dance. Uh Fair enough. <laughs> uh, okay, so every once in a while in this section, I have what I like to call a natural. It's neither a sharp nor a flat. Still more music humor. And I need to, we need to talk about it. And so my first flat, please don't hate me. No, sorry, my first natural, I should say. 
please don't hate me. I natural at the fantasy moments because they're fun. They're great. But I feel like, like you said, they're a little too long and they detract you from the story. Like they could have been cut down, pared down a little bit. Or like that one, that Grecian one that we talked about that like we didn't really like could have just been cut. <laughs> and I also, hmm, I natural at the cheating husband subplot. Like, yeah. But you have to admit that crying baby and the wife popping up back and forth was hilarious. That's amazing. I didn't hate it. I was just like, did we need it? But like, but do you know how many backstage rom- romance oh, yes. happened oh. backstage? And I think that was more a callback to that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And but both like... of them have kids. So both of them are cheating on their spouses. Oh, right. She has, she has a kid. She hides in a hamper backstage <laughs> that kid that was like had to cover her eyes to say that she's asleep because obviously she's a kid and isn't a child actor i feel like okay how about flats do you have any flats yes i do my one flat is that as though as i love this movie let it be preference i love this movie it's a little too long i agree with some of the cuts they probably did for the theatrical version but there are some things that like just drag on in particular, the fancy forgetting sequence where Madame Dubonnet is meeting her, the, the rich Cockney junkard. And that scene just drags on. And mm. and it's funny because the fancy forgetting, that scene where they're in Paris and the soldiers are greeting their long lost lovers. That is some beautiful imagery. But I can't stand uh, the scene that comes prior to it. And I think other... Little things that need to be cut are the you don't want to play with me blues did not need to happen. I did not need all I do is dream of you. That could be cut because we got the point from our first song. You are my lucky star that Polly is in love with Tony. We don't need that to be reinstated again, especially after she's been heartbroken. She just sings again longingly. It doesn't express any new emotion. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um. So I flatted... There's some chaotic camera work happening. But that's Ken Russell. That is Ken Russell. But I felt there were some points where I was like, did we really need this here? Or like, Yeah, I'm, I know what you're referencing. You're referencing the Won't You Charleston With Me number where the camera goes to all these wild places and then zooms in on the... Yes. Oh, my God. We did not talk about the pianist with the never-ending cigarette creepily looking to the side of the director. <laughs> oh my goodness and then Maisie dances on top of the piano and the pianist is like whatever <laughs> but we have those pianists that are just like i'm here just to play what <laughs> i'm here to play um i i hope you agree with me on this i'm flatting the blackface i'm just i go ahead I yeah, yeah, yeah i can't i can't you have ken russell you have no excuse you should have done better like a beard put him in a beard they he wore yeah, a there mustache been other ways around it but Unfortunately, they Unfortunately. did that back in the day. I kind of didn't like Polly offstage. I felt like she was like, I get it that they're all archetypes and that they're like their personas are cranked up to 25 billion. But I felt like she was just too naive. Again, that, that's Peggy Sawyer. But also like allegedly you've been working for, let's say a month with the same people because you were in rehearsals and tech and everything and i don't know how far into the run this this one performance is but for argument's sake let's say a month and then in that month you haven't tried or like you haven't learned more about if he was messing around with dulce is that her name dulce probably the one that he helped that helped him bake the cake basically yes and then the last one that i have the last spot that i have is when they break the rules of their musical numbers with with the offstage ones that we've already talked about, yes. like I, it, it was a little too jarring for me. I wish there was either more or none of it. And that's what I also flatted too. It was the numbers I wish they would have cut were the numbers that happened offstage. Don't want to play with me, blues. Mm-hmm. All I do is dream of you. Would you add any of the songs to your life's playlist? Unfortunately, on iTunes there is not the the soundtrack recording to the boyfriend, but I do have it on vinyl. And the one I always listen to is um, we're perfect young ladies. And I, I, I just love that. 
I just love that number. And I love the raucous tap steps, time steps they do to it. But to my life's playlist. um, Like you're in, okay. Let's say that you have a recording of this on your phone and you're in the supermarket or like you're driving to work or whatever, you know, like no visuals, basically. That's what I mean with this question. Probably so much nicer niece. I, okay. I didn't write anything down and that's because I didn't watch it straight through. I had a, I had a segment it because of work and everything. So maybe I will revisit it before this episode is released and put something out on the socials. But for right now, I don't want to add anything, anyone to my life's playlist. I'm sorry. <laughs> and it's, but, it, but like also a lot of the times, like, you need the visual for like, in order for me to answer this question, like I need to disassociate like what's happening on, uh, on screen at, versus what I'm hearing. And some of them, some of the times we need the visuals because of, of the gag or whatever. Um, yeah. Or like the visuals are so stunning that I can't separate the two. So I don't know. I right now for right now, as of this recording, I have none. Um, please don't hate me. <laughs> no, not at all. And on that note, Colton, we're done with the episode. We did I'm it. I'm so sad. But like so many wonderful things to talk about with a boyfriend. We could just go all on day like Diana. Oh, oh, <laughs> well, that what that's a special episode. I break I break my own rules from time to time. <laughs> but uh what do you have to plug or promote i have nothing to promote unfortunately but if if this interests you enough for you to come follow me on the social media yes. uh you could follow me at colden lamb which is on my instagram and then i also have coldenlamb.com and which you can read my blogs and follow all my other social media from there yeah like, tell what, what do you blog about? Tell the people about that. Well, so I got WordPress, as some of us actors do in this business, and that you had the option to blog. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll write stuff to make my website look busy and interesting. And eventually it just became something about things that I'm really passionate about. And when I have a real spark of creativity and ingenuity, I have to write about it. Um. I've written, written, that's not English. Grammar no. is the greatest joy in life, don't you find? Um, thank you. I know it. I know it. Thank you. I know what you, John, I know what I'm, you know what I'm referencing. Um, my favorite thing that I've written took about three months of research, which was a blog about Mark Blitzstein and Leonard Bernstein and how Leonard Bernstein stole Mark Blitzstein's music to write West Side Story. And that one I'm very proud of. What? Yeah. Oh, John. Well, gonna have, there's a whole episode about that. But if you're interested in learning more about that, go to coldenlamb.com for more details. I should have stalked your blog when I did that episode. Oh, it's okay. So no upset. one does. It's okay. Have you have you written about the boyfriend yet? Well, I need to see it first. Unfortunately, I'm no, coming the from movie. a biased... Oh, write about the maybe movie. I... Probably because I did somewhat of an okay job on on this podcast. I thought I would do better, but I find no. You did a great job. It's just that you have all these other thoughts about it. But I get sometimes I get so tongue tied I can't speak. Um, But maybe I should write a blog criticizing and critiquing the boyfriend and why it's a cinematic masterpiece. Yeah, you know what? As we're recording this, you should do it by the time this is released. How's that? Oh, that's pressure. This way we can cross promote things <laughs> all right um well, put that request in writing though oh fuck <laughs> and if you want to talk more about the boyfriend or tell me your experiences about uh either seeing the movie or the show you can email me at buttersongpod at gmail.com i'm also on facebook instagram twitter and tiktok at buttersongpod where i try to like do different things on there so make sure you follow all of them um and if you want to be part of next episode's conversation, we're going to be talking about This is Spinal Tap. Do you know this one? Unfortunately, I don't, but I'm excited to listen to it. Great. It's a mockumentary about a band. Uh, Colton, 
Thank you so much for letting me badger you to come on to this episode. <laughs> come on to this podcast and talk about, well, you picked the boyfriend and it was fabulous. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you like it. I know it is a little jarring. People either really love it or they're really scarred by it. But I'm glad you feel indifferent to it or you like it. No, I, I like it. There's like There's like a camp element to it. But that camp comes from pastiche and it's intentional yes. camp, which really doesn't doesn't make it camp if it's intentional. I mean, no, I mean, their act, their acting makes it really over the top campy on purpose. And I that's what I think I was attracted to. I mean, also, I liked everything else about it, like the look and everything else. But like the the level of camp that I wanted to also mention that <laughs> at the end of the episode. <laughs> that there's so much camp to it and it's amazing and funny it's really funny i know it's a 70s film but like all the jokes are still somewhat relevant to to, to today yes especially all the backstage humor especially all the backstage humor anyway end of the episode uh thank you everyone for listening thank you colden for coming on you will be back soon uh so stay tuned everyone and bye for now Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day.